0: Well, good morning again. You kind of ran out of gas there, huh? Well, good morning again. There you are. I knew you'd show up. Well, let's stand together and uh, we are coming back to our series on the Ten Words. We took a a break and uh, focused on Palm Sunday and Easter, of course. And today we're looking at the Sixth Commandment. And uh, this is like the day of long biblical texts. So our text this morning is Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, and it goes something like this. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. Okay, great. Thanks. We're done. Let's pray together. Father, we give you praise and thanks again for Jesus. And for how hmm overwhelmed we are at the magnitude of your extravagance. And for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes everything that you have made available in Jesus and makes it possible and applicable in our lives. And so we ask now that that same Spirit, the Spirit of the living Christ, would quicken our mouths so we may speak, our ears that we may hear, our minds that we may comprehend, our hearts that we may understand, and Lord, our bodies, as we leave this place and go out into our community, into our relationships, our marriages, our families, our homes, our streets, into the places where we work, where we are educated, where we get our services, where we buy our services. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to live out the faith that we hold so dear, that we would do this tangibly, in physical and in meaningful ways. And so, in your name, and in the name of Jesus, we ask these mercies. Amen. I want you to be seated. <clears throat> Did you know that in 1800, there were 1 billion people in the world? 130 years later, there were 2 billion people in the world. 30 years after that, in 1960, the year that I was born, there were 3 billion people people in the world. 27 years later there were 5 billion and nine years after that there were 6 billion and today in 2019 there is approximately 7.5 billion people in the world. And did you know that the world in which we live has been shaped by 6,000 years of organized warfare? That means that in 55 plus centuries of recorded history, there has only been, get this, 292 years of peace. Yes, 292 years of peace. Did you know that humanity has never built a weapon that has not been used in our world? And did you know that the 20th century, this past century, has been the bloodiest of all centuries and all the centuries put together prior to the 20th century. They estimate, whoever they are, that between 200 and 250 million people were killed. And that tells us that the entire chronicle of the human race has been marked by bloodshed. Now, you may or may not be wondering, how does that relate to the Sixth Commandment? Well, the underlying principle of the Sixth Commandment is the sanctity of human life, or the sacredness of human life. The biblical understanding of life is that it is a divine gift, and it is a sacred trust, because we are made In God's likeness. Based on Genesis chapter one, verses twenty-six to twenty-seven. Simply put, all human life is sacred because you and I, we have been created, or we bear the likeness, or we bear the image of God. And so the sixth commandment prohibits. All unlawful killing on this basis. First of all, out of reverence for God. And secondly, on God who declares that all human life is a divine gift. And it is a sacred trust. So how much is a life worth? How much is a human life worth? worth. Well, the worth of a human life or the worth of a human being is based on three things. Probably more, but three that we're going to look at. First of all, on belonging. That we belong to God by or through creation. Having, being made in his likeness and bearing his image. Now, Jesus, of course, pointed this out in the Synoptic Gospels. They're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, the same story, where they come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes? Some things never change. Is it lawful to pay taxes? And Jesus says, he says, show me a coin that you pay taxes with. And they gave him a denarius. uh, And he says to them, he says, whose inscription is on this coin? And they say, Caesars. And Jesus says, then render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render to God that which is God. In other words, a coin that bears the emperor's image belongs to the emperor. And a person who bears God's image belongs to God. But there's also this. As Christians, we know that our sense of and form of belonging is also connected to the fact of redemption. That not only are you and I gods by creation, that he has made us in his likeness and his image, that we bear the image of God, but that we are his by redemption. Corinthians says these words, 1 Corinthians 6.20, says that you were bought with a price. And then, of course, Peter picks this up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 to 19. So, the worth of a human life based on belonging, but secondly, on value. Now, value is about worshipfulness. Now, be very careful here. I do not mean and I am not referring to a worshipfulness in the sense of religious or spiritual as in we understand that God is worshipful. When we talk about God being worshipful, we use a, a, a higher case W, a capital W. When we talk about our humanity as being worshipful, we use a lower case W. Worshipful in the sense of value. Worshipful in the sense of worth. That's what worship means. It means worth. But what is the value? What is the worth of a life? That question is not just an ethics question. The question is bewildering. And the answer to the mystery of that question has been the study of science and of philosophy and of medicine and of religion and the list goes on and on. And the answer to that question is really elusive. But I like something that the poet A.R. Ammon said. He wrote, If all that a man, or woman, if all that a man can understand were all there is, if there were no mystery, then the mind would be trapped within its limits. One should rejoice in understanding, but rejoice also in failing to understand. For in that failure, the mind is set free so the third element that sort of underscores the worth of a life is competence competence on the one hand you and I being made in the image of our creator means that we were created to create did you follow that? That us, you and I, being, being made in the image of our creator, our maker, also means that you and I were created to create. And our competence is in the fact that you and I are born makers. We are creators. Again, small, lowercase c. But in the broader sense, we are artists. Now, not in the sense of fine arts, although some of us are. Some of us are artists and poets and musicians and, and sculptors, and all those kinds of things, and writers and those kinds of things. But artistry in the sense of something as common as making a marriage, a family, a home, Of making a life. We are artists. We are makers after our maker. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, so we are, because we are made in the image of our Creator, we are created to create. But on the other hand, we also understand as creators, as makers, as artists. We cannot create except by reworking the original works of creation. In other words, none of us are truly original. There's a really cute story of a person who raised their fist to God and said to God, I can create a person just as you can. And God says, go ahead. And so the person reaches down and grabs a handful of dirt. And God says, whoa, whoa, hold on for a minute. That's my dirt. You get your own dirt. Our competence is based on being made in the likeness of our creator, which makes us creators as well. And what that means is simply this, that you and I, we have an obligation of returning stewardship for the gift of our life. We are called to be responsible heirs of the life that we have have been given because it is a divine gift and it is a sacred trust. But there's also this, which really gets to the heart of our text. No one has the right to destroy what they have not created. No one has the right to destroy what they have not created. And that brings us to homicide, infanticide, suicide, and genocide. And why they are forbidden. Now, we all know that homicide, we all know that murder is wrong. Whether it is premeditated murder, which means that it is done with deliberate, that it's deliberately planned, or it's voluntary manslaughter, it's intentional, but it is, uh, sorry, intentional but not premeditated, or involuntary manslaughter, which means it's without malice or intent, or negligent homicide, when, so for example, when somebody who is a drunk driver accidentally kills an individual. Because, why these are all wrong is because no one has the right to destroy what they have not created. And that brings us then to infanticide. Now, infanticide is an old word, we don't use it much anymore. And it's, a, it's complicated. Because infanticide has to do with the death of children, of infants. And of course we know that abortion falls into this category which we believe to be wrong and forbidden. Life is a miracle. Now when I use the word miracle I must confess to you that it's a little oversimplified but at the same time the term miracle sort of encompasses all of what we experience in life and does so in a way that probably no other word can really explain. For example, when your first child or your second child or your third child is born that moment. Or for many of us in the room, when our grandchildren come along, you knew how I was going to get there, right? But it's not just your grandchildren. It is watching your own children become parents. It's a miracle. The miracle of watching a bride walk down the aisle. The miracle of watching a glorious sunrise or a glorious sunset. Miraculous. But when it comes to human life, human life is a miracle that we cannot understand. But neither can we own it. Neither can we own it. Life as a miracle is more credible than it is as an accident, as evolution will tell us, or as somebody else's property. I often say to parents, That our children do not belong to us. They belong to themselves and to God. All we are doing is parenting them and they're lent to us. And we are shepherding them through the process of life. And if the truth were told, most of our children have to finish parenting themselves when we're done with them. Right? But life as a miracle. And it is a miracle with its own inherent dignity and mystery. And it insists, life as a miracle insists upon the uniqueness and the unique value and the unique worth of an individual life. There are no such things as generalizations or abstractions. A life is a life as a life is worth, has worth and value. Mine as yours and yours as mine. But of course, one of the substantial issues connected with abortion is the profound issues of regret and guilt. And I don't have time to really develop that. We come to suicide, of course. Suicide is the act of taking one's own life. We call it self-murder. Six people in the Bible, it records, actually took their lives. Now, I have been asked by people whose loved ones have ended their lives, and they ask this question. Do people who end their own lives go to heaven? Now, the real question that's being asked is this. Do people who end their own lives go to hell? That's the real question that's being asked by loved ones because they are looking for comfort. They are looking for consolation. And my answer has always been, I don't know the answer to those two questions. But I immediately follow up with this. What I know is this. That we leave eternal things in the hands of an eternal God who is profoundly loving, who is profoundly generous, who is profoundly gracious. And He does all things right. But there's also this, when a person resorts to suicide, there are other significant issues at work in that person's life. For example, we all know that intrinsic inside of us, in built inside of all of us, is the desire to live. We are told that 90% or more of all suicides are accidental deaths. That the person is not trying to end their life. They're just looking for help. They're looking for some form of attention of people that can help them. Because they're in agony. They're in misery. And often, that attempt becomes successful. But it was not intended to be. So no, no, no. I do not believe That all people who commit suicide go to hell. Let me tell you Paul's story. We pastored in a church, and there was a a man, probably about my age, when this happened. And he had uh, two adult daughters, and um, both daughters were being married. One was being married in the spring that year, and one was being married in the summer. And nobody knew, Paul was a regular attender at the church, and Paul was sort of a dignified man, big, strong, burly, beautiful gray hair, and uh, actually white, and, uh, but nobody knew. He, he was embarrassed. Nobody knew that Paul had mental health issues that required medication. And Paul's issues were deep, deep mental health issues. Well one thing that led to the next and Paul's wife and his daughter came home one day and found him dead in the garage. He had taken his life. And what had happened was this. Paul had been in the process, the medical staff at the hospital had been in the process of changing Paul's medications. And he didn't go in the hospital for the three days that are crucial for that changeover. And Paul ended his life. Do I believe that Paul is in the presence of Jesus Christ? I absolutely do. And I believe that because when people take their own lives, they're not in their right minds because people in their right minds want to live. It's intrinsic in us. And there are always mitigating circumstances in these devastating situations. Now, do I believe that suicide or ending one's own life is wrong? Yes! Because no one has the right to destroy what they have not created. And there's this too. On the one hand, we are grateful and thankful for science and medical science and technology. We are grateful and we are indebted to them. Thank God we live in 2019. But on the other hand, science, medical science and technology have created some problems and more than we would like to admit. Did you know? that life expectancy at the time of Jesus was 21 years of age. And that in 1900, at the turn of the 20th century, life expectancy was 48 years. In 1950, in 1950, when the, when the Canadian government set up... Um, the retirement process. Life expectancy in 1950 was 65 years in Canada. Today, life expectancy is approximately 82.30 years, depending on if you're male or female. Now, of course, 82.3 years is not enough for any of us. Most of us want to live to be 120 and look like we're 35. Did I get it right? Yeah, that's about right. However, the statistics about life expectancy are encouraging. A long life has always been desirable. Everything that lives wants to continue to live. But, Up until recently, that sentence has to be qualified. Long life is desirable and everything that lives wishes to live up to a point. And past a certain point and in certain conditions, death is more preferable. Because up to a certain point and in certain conditions... Life is neither good and may not even be considered life. Just because we have the technology does not mean that we should use it. And part of the challenge that we forget is this, that death is a very natural part of living. And for us as Christians, we should know this better than most. Because we know what's beyond this life. And the hope that comes with a Christ who is risen from the dead. We do not grieve as those that have no hope, Paul says. But there's also this. So let me weigh in where angels fear to tread do we really have a Christian response, a solid Christian response for doctor-assisted suicide? Where in in the cases of debilitating illness or terminal illness, and doctor-assisted suicide creates profound ethical and moral and spiritual and biblical and theological questions and dilemmas. And just because we can doesn't mean to say we shouldn't. Who gets to play God? Who gets to decide when life ends? Because nobody, no one has the right to destroy what they have not created. There's another form, and I'll move on quickly here. Of murder that we need to address, and that is genocide, which is ethnic cleansing. And whether it's Stalin's Russia with 20 million Russians, or Mao Tse Tung's Great Leap Forward in China with 30 million Chinese starved to death, or Hitler's Nazi Germany where 6 million Jews and another million people died because of his lunacy, or Pol Pot on the killing fields of Cambodia that killed 2 million of his people, or Idi Amin in Uganda, or it is um, Rwanda with eight hundred thousand Tutsis in one hundred days. Bosnia and Kosovo. Somebody said that no good thing is destroyed by goodness. Good things are destroyed by wickedness. Now most of us know, most of us here, most of us watching online, all of us, know that taking a Human life is murder. It's a crime. And in some situations, it's heinous crimes. So, what does that have to do with us? Because the reality is I mean, I doubt very much if there's anybody in the room here that's a murderer or has ever killed anybody. How does that apply to us? And that brings us to this the heart of the matter. There are six commands from the Old Testament that Jesus refers to in the Sermon on the Mount. And each one is introduced by the phrase, you have heard that it's been said. And he's referring back to some command in the Law of Moses. And Jesus is not contradicting the command. He is actually reinterpreting the command as opposed to the traditional interpretation. In Matthew 5 verses 21 to 22, Jesus addresses this command, the sixth command, do not murder. And he says that there are three things. He says, first of all, but I say to you that everyone who is angry, angry, angry with his brother or sister will be liable for judgment. The act of murder begins inward with unrighteous anger and hatred. He says, secondly, whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council. And then he says in verse 22, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now the words, you fool, you probably know uh, that those words actually is moros in the New Testament. It's where we get the word moron. So when I say you're a moron, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you're a dummy, this is what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is also saying this. Are you ready? You ready? Anger, verbal abuse, Insults, name calling, slander, etc., are all violations of the sixth commandment. We just kill people with our words. How many of you have ever used or heard these words being used on you? Watch your mouth. Anybody raise your hand? I have heard that many times. I mean, when I was younger. How many of you, raise your hand, you've either heard it or used it? It turns out it's totally biblical. Go figure, my mother's biblical. (laughs) Psalm 141.3 Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips, and of course in Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The sixth commandment, not only unmasks wrong actions, but it penetrates down to the root of murder. And Jesus said that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. That unrighteous anger is contrary to God's love and it is equivalent to murder. Father, Forgive us. When we have been judgmental and we have been ungracious, unkind, unlike Jesus, even toward ourselves when we have self-spoken said, you idiot. Or when we have used words that have cut our spouses, our children, our parents, our siblings, our work colleagues and co-students. And pastors, and congregants, and brothers, and sisters in Christ, forgive us. Forgive us for words that have been spoken that are equivalent to murder. And fill our hearts with your love. And fill our hearts with your grace. And fill our hearts with your extravagant mercy. That out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths will speak. Father, today, for those in the room that are watching online or will watch on the archive. For those that have gone through the process of an abortion, that's not the end of the story. There is forgiveness and healing and peace in exchange for guilt and regret. And for those today that have experienced the gruesomeness of suicide in their family or with their friends, Father, I pray that you would lift their minds and their thoughts. For these eternal things are beyond humans. They must rest with the grace and the merciful and the lovingness of an eternal God. And so we give you praise and we give you thanks today for your love and for your grace and mercy that you have made available and possible. And applicable to our lives. No one accepted. And no one accepted that needs it today. So Father we ask now for your grace. And for your mercy. In the mighty name. That is above every name. Jesus Christ. Your son. And our savior. Amen.